your story. And I'm, I'm a fan of daytime. I'm not a big kind of nighttime, darkness sort of a gal. I'm a bit of a chicken. <laughs> and I went on a trip one time when I was a teenager. It was an amazing trip. And we kayaked down the Longanui River. And it was incredible. It was beautiful. I had an amazing experience. But there's one thing, it's just one thing that I found hard about it. And we had long drip drops. That's all good. I can cope with that. It was fine. I kind of got into, you know, the kind of bush life, so it was all good. You know, I quite enjoyed it, actually. And, <laughs> but the only trouble with that was, was at night, often these long drops were obviously away from the campsite and off down a little trail. So I had to gear myself up. I had to sign myself up for going to the bathroom at night. I unfortunately had kind of given myself this kind of... Um, brave, tough girl persona, during camp, I've been trying hard to, you know, do well and shine. The, the guy on the trip, he said I could come and have a job afterwards. I was trying to be, you know, tough enough to be the person who was carrying the most barrels up from the camp every day, getting the word. I don't know why I did that, but I thought that was cool for some reason. And, and I did like the job of the two it made me feel good. But... To keep that up, I couldn't be a chicken at night and ask my mates to come to the long drop with me, could I? So I had to psych myself up. I'm a big girl, I'm a big girl, Jesus is with me. I'm not scared, I'm not scared. So I'd walk up this trail, I'd be holding it together, keeping it together, you know, you get to the long drop. Dingle, dingle, dingle. And through the tinkling, it's okay, it's okay. But as you know it's coming to the end, all my courage was gone out of me. I just wrap my pants up, I sprint down through the bush to get back. But because of my tough girl persona, that just tips if anyone has to do this, sprint back, but as you get to the campsite, just kind of jog it in. Jog it in, just looks like you're eager to get back and socialise and stuff. And, you know, that'll save face a little bit. But no, I'm very, uh, still a scaredy cat in the dark. Even when we go camping now, I have to have my big bodyguard come with me and escort me to the toilet at night. <laughs> and Nick even said to me the other night, making fun of me, we're watching Jack Ryan. I don't know if you know what Jack Ryan is, but we're watching that. <laughs> and there was these, um, it was in a night scene, and there was like these abandoned kind of Russian buildings that all kind of these smashed windows and things. And Nick said to me, if someone offered you a million dollars, would you go through there at night? He knew the answer. Heck no. A million dollars, two million dollars. I don't think I could do it. Mm. <laughs> but I'm speaking about the light today and that Jesus is the light of the world. And so if we look at the context of when Jesus made this wonderful declaration, it was at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles is when he said this. So it was quite, he's been quite intentional with what he was doing. Um, in the Feast of Tabernacles, light was a very important symbol. And light was symbolic in this festival because it was representing the pillar of light that led the Israelites through the desert, which reminded them that God delivered them out of Egypt. And it's also called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths because they also stayed in tents. Everyone stayed in tents to remember their time, their ancestors' time in the desert and that God delivered them. And so at this feast, thousands of Jews would descend upon Jerusalem. The city would be pumping. There'd be all, everyone's tents surrounding the city. And 
One of the things that was special about this was that they had these giant candelabras that would be set up in the court of women at the temple. That was the, big, the biggest space, the big open space, and they had four of these giant candelabras. And when I mean giant, they were very giant. They're about 23 meters, I think. Um, so they had to get some workmen up on a ladder to go and put oil in them. And they would hold about 65 litres of oil. So that was a few trips up these ladders. So they could put out this great light. And this light, when it was lit, it would, you could see the glow all through the city. And on the last night of this festival, they would go all night. And they'd have a big celebration full of dancing all through the night. And if you can imagine being in a society in an age where this is before electricity, that would have been quite significant, wouldn't it? These incredible lights that were lighting up the whole city and that you could stay up and party with your friends and your family all night celebrating God. And so I think when Jesus makes the statement, I am the light of the world, um, he was being very provocative as well, wasn't he? Um, they would have had this fresh kind of imagery of light, and light was very significant um, to the Israelites as well, and in, um, in the Old Testament, would have been the Old Testament at the time, but all the prophecies and different sayings about light. So he was making a very big claim when he said, I am the light of the world. And I'm just going to make two sort of simple points today. And um, the first one is, what, what's Jesus meaning when he says, I am the light? And I think probably an easy way for me to look at it is that Jesus is the light. Uh, he parallels the sunlight. Another one. Here we go. Here's the, just some pictures of what the candelabras might have looked like. Another one. And another one. Thank you. Do you want me to tell you? Okay. <laughs> so, what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the light? And, yeah, so just as I said about Jesus paralleling sunlight in lots of ways, um, sunlight is antibacterial, isn't it? It's a sanitizer. We put stuff out in the sunlight as part of a cleansing process, don't we? And Jesus brings healing. Jesus brings cleansing. And sunlight also brings growth. Plants need sunlight to grow. And we need sunlight to live as well. And that's just like Jesus as well, isn't he? Jesus, we have life from Jesus, and he brings growth. And light also enables us to see. Enables us to see. And so Jesus brings understanding. And Jesus brings wisdom. And Jesus brings truth. Amen. Mm. And in Daniel chapter 2, there's um, a very cool story of Jesus bringing truth and revelation. And so what's happened is King Nebuchadnezzar, he's had a dream, a dream that disturbed him. And he wanted to know what it was about. He was in a, a society who um, yeah, valued dreams. So he called together his wives, men, and his magicians, and he said, I've had this dream, and I want to know what it's about. 
But I'm not going to tell you what it's about, but I want you to tell me what it means. Otherwise, you're dead. So no pressure. <laughs> so Daniel and his guys, they went away and they sought the Lord for his light, for his revelation about what was this dream about. And I'll read this out. This After they have that, this is what Daniel says. So during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and he blessed the God of heaven and declared, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. <coughs> he reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. So how do I walk in this light? How do I live in this light? So it's part of the text for this message. It says, as well as I'm the light of the world, Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So that doesn't mean that we won't ever have trouble, but it means that we won't ever walk alone. Mm. And I heard someone make a great point um, recently, is that life doesn't cast a shadow, does it? It just gets blocked. Yeah. So here's some cool pictures of light breaking through. Do you want to just go back to the sky one? Thank you. So if you've been on an aeroplane, when you get up above the clouds, eh, it's always an amazing day. The sun is always <laughs> shining. It doesn't matter what you get down below, the sun is shining. So it can be um, quite deceiving when you go and land to the place, to a destination, can't you? When you come back down <coughs> to the clouds and it's overcast and raining because the sun is consistent above the clouds, isn't it, in the clouds. Um, they cast shadow, don't they, down on the land. And so, I love these when I see these, these moments, if you see those, because it always reminds me that God is always breaking through, isn't he? Mm. He's always breaking through, and while we might not see him sometimes, his light is still above mm. those clouds, shining. Mm. And so how do we practically live and walk in the light of Jesus? Mm. And I'll just talk about two important ways for me. And the first one is carving out time to be with Jesus every day. Mm. And plants, they need light, don't they? Not just to survive, to live, but they need plants, they need light to grow and to thrive, don't they? And that's the same as us. We need vitamin D that we get from the sunlight. And isn't it interesting that we're getting lots of studies now coming out um, just talking about how important it is to be in the sunshine. And even things like, you know, we've got all like SPF and everything about if we're always wearing sunblock, we still need to have a bit of time where we're not blocking the sunlight for our skin because we need to absorb that vitamin D. 
And some of these studies are quite um, interesting and helpful, I think, as well, in how they also parallel our spiritual lives. And in summer, as little as six to eight minutes of sunshine a day will give us loads of vitamin D. But interestingly, in winter, we need about 30 minutes outside. This is often overcast, isn't it, in New Zealand in winter, particularly past the north. <laughs> and even though we can't necessarily see the sun, the light is still coming through those clouds, still giving us that vitamin D. But in winter, we need a little bit more time outside to collect up with that vitamin D. And um, for me, spending time with Jesus requires intentionality. Hmm. There's nothing in my life that I've successfully um, sort of gone after and achieved without intentionality. Hmm. Um, if I want to walk with Jesus and I want to be a follower of Jesus, if Jesus is my goal, I have to be intentional about Jesus. Um, being married to Nick um, requires intentionality and it's a relationship, isn't it, that we have with Jesus. Mm. So if I want to have a relationship with Jesus, I need to be intentional about spending time with him every day. Mm. And that might look different in different seasons of life. And I've had times and seasons in my life where it's pretty easy. I just want to be with Jesus all the time. I'm really looking forward to reading my Bible. I'm really looking forward to having some quiet time, putting on some music, or just being in the silence or being in nature. And then there's times that's kind of like winter, I suppose, for me, where I don't feel any kind of intrinsic motivation to spend time with Jesus. And that's when my intentionality carries me through. Because I just know for myself, and I imagine that might be similar for you. If I'm not intentional about spending time with God, when I'm in winter times, and they happen often in life, don't they? Because we get busy, we have stuff, hard stuff, and it makes us tired. If I'm not intentional in those times, I know that I'll go weeks, days, months without really spending time with Jesus, and that's when my intentional practices carry me through those times. And um, I'm totally not coming as someone who's winning at this. I am continually falling off the wagon and getting back up and falling off again and getting back up. And um, yeah, so I'm not, I haven't won at this at all, but I'm trying, yeah. I'm coming as a trier. And um, so some of the practices, the things that I do that are intentional for me is I come to church, I come to hang out with you guys. Um, I come to worship, I come to fellowship, I come to enjoy God and to encourage others in their relationship with God and to be encouraged by others. Um, at the moment, I'm doing a Bible reading plan thing on my Bible app on my phone. I am, the way I have often read my Bible, some people, I have lots of people say this too, so it's not just me. I do that man thing, you know, you open your Bible, oh, you know, oh, and I'll just read wherever I open. And when I was younger, I used to think, you know, like, yes, I'll just let it be the inspired page of the Holy Spirit today, you know. 
but um, that, yeah, I ended up with this whole zigzaggy line all the way through the Bible. And it's, you know, getting something good in your day body like this is fabulous. But if I want to go on a journey of growth, I've got to have some intentionality with my reading. So something I'm doing currently is I'm doing a reading the Bible over three years, not a year plan. If you want to do a year plan, you're awesome and I admire you. But I'm doing a three-year plan, which means I'm reading a chapter every day and it will get me read through the Bible in three years. Um, and prayer. Um, a lot of prayer is just like walking in the sunshine, isn't it? Mm. There's stuff that we can do that's different, but I suppose the thing I want to encourage you about today, since we've been talking a lot about the sunshine, is that a lot of prayer is like walking in the sunshine often, isn't it? That day-to-day prayer of just coming and being with Jesus mm. and being in His presence. And then there's lots of other stuff that you can do in there, um, as well. But I suppose I want to also encourage us as grace, grace, eh? If you are in the off the wagon stage, like that's totally okay. And it's easy for you to hop back on the wagon tomorrow by just starting something small. Because I think we often think, you know, oh no, you know, maybe sometimes in the past I think I've thought, I just kind of ease my way back into time with God. Maybe he won't notice that we haven't been hanging out. So I'll just start putting some worship tunes on in the background and, you know, stuff like that. Maybe he won't notice that we haven't been hanging out, you know, just kind of slide back in. But I don't think we have to worry about any of that. Um, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about my dad or even my mum. If I haven't seen them for a while, we live in the same city, so we see each other quite often, but if I haven't seen them for a while, I've been on holiday or something like that, so I haven't been in touch. When I ring them, when we haven't communicated for a while, I know because I'm the favourite child, so when my name comes up on the phone, I know they're quite excited, you know, but when my parents answer the phone and haven't chatted for a while, my dad always answers very enthusiastically. He always says, hey babe. Whenever he answers the phone, my mum says, Hello, Amy's. And I don't know where Amy's came from. There's no story behind it as far as I know, but that's just what my mum says. And I think, like my parents, I think our heavenly father's the same. I don't think if we've been off the wagon and then we come the next day and just sit in his presence that God's like, uh huh, you know, been long enough, you know, took you long enough to come and hang, to come and, you know, give me a call. I don't think, you know, God's like, like my parents are awesome, but I think God's even more awesome. So if my parents are excited to hear from me, imagine how excited mm. God is to hear from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the second thing that's important for me um, is the moment I'm now. So that's a value of ours here. It's all about relationship and fellowship and deep connection within our Christian family and um, the body of Christ. And God's designed us to be interconnected, hasn't he? And um, Johnny, if you just go to... Oh, actually, I'll just... This is a beautiful carving, isn't it? And this carving um, symbolises for my katana. I just thought that was quite beautiful, so I just added that for my slide here. But if you just go on to the scripture, the next scripture. So, 1 John... And chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us 
from all sin. And Jesus' brother James, in chapter 5, verse 16, says, Confess your sins to one another and be healed. So we are part of... Just a... Um, unusual sentence I've written there, but what it was meant to say is that we are part of a God in us faith, mm. not a God in me faith, are we? And this is something that our ancestors really grasped, but it's something that we find hard to grasp because we live in an individualistic society over here in the West, don't we? And we live such fast paced lives as well that makes it hard for us really to do community well. And that's what um, something that we really value as a church is that we're all trying our darndest to actually swim the other way, that we're going to be like, no, we're, we're prioritising community, we're prioritising relationship. And whilst it's a challenge every week, it's so valuable and it's something that, um, yeah, that God wants us to do. It almost commands us, really, isn't it? And as we spend time with Jesus, the light of the world, as we spend time with the light, um, God brings up stuff, doesn't he? His light comes in and his light um, roots out darkness. And so some of that stuff, um, we just need to bring to the Father. And we talk to the Father about it. You know, there's something going on in our hearts that you notice when you're in your quiet time and you can just bring that to God and just, oh, oh God, I was really unreasonably wrong here today. I don't know where that came from. Yes, yeah, very unreasonable. <laughs> and yeah, and Lord, oh, thank you for showing me that. And Lord, I just thank you. I'm just sorry. And thank you for your forgiveness. And I can talk to Nick. You know, it's just something I can do with the Father and I can chat to Nick. Whatever. But then there's other stuff in our life sometimes that overwhelms us. That has like a power hold over us. Mm. Or like a stronghold. It builds a stronghold in us. And that sort of that's stuff that's casting shadow in our lives that we need to get God's light into. Mm. And when we get something that's like a stronghold in our life, we, well, it's often associated with shame and exposing what it is, isn't it? And it might be, you know, stuff you might classically think of it, sin, you know, pornography, or, you know, drugs and whatever, you know, you could, those classic sort of things that you think, ooh, you know, but it might be some stuff that's casting shadow in your life too, that that's got a stronghold over you, that's got a chokehold over you, and it might be unforgiveness, it might be bitterness, it might be glory, and it's something that God is saying, come and confess it with one another so that I can bring healing in. And there's power that's taken out of that darkness or that thing that's got that chokehold on you when we confess it amongst one another because we're bringing that into the light. Mm. We're letting the light come mm. in and if you think of a stronghold, it's like a little fortress in you, isn't it? And if you're thinking, you know, the light wants to come through and smash that open, and um, the reason we do it with others as well is because we need to have people to journey with, mm. and walk with, don't we? Because often something that's got a little bit of power hold on us, we're going to need people to 
comfort us, to counsel us. Sometimes we'll need people to help direct us to um, professional help. We'll need help seeking professional help. Or sometimes we might need someone to help us with uh, accountability or you know, someone to, we need travel money to space it. Mm. God knows that, and that's why he's designed us to be in community and experience the healing and confession. Mm. And I just wanted to finish with a story. And you might remember back in 2018, there was that um, soccer team, the Thai the boys, who got trapped in the cave. And so that was on the 23rd of June in 2018. And what happened was these guys, I think it was somebody's birthday, and they wanted to just go and hang out and do something special after their practice. And they went to the cave. There was a sign that said, you know, don't go in at this time because there's rain. But as locals, you often know a bit better, don't you? And often those signs are for people who don't live locally. So this typically wasn't a time that was going to be concerning for these guys. It was just extra precautionary. And so they went into the case. But as we know recently in our country, the water can come unexpectedly, can't it? And so with these guys, it happened, and this water rose unexpectedly, and they had to go in deeper into the cave to try and find high ground. And they were in there for nine days before anyone found them. So that was nine days in the darkness, with no food, no blankets or anything, just perched up on this little high ledge here in one of these caves. And over those nine days, there was up to 10,000 people involved in trying to rescue these guys. There was 12 um, of the young guys from age 11 to 16, their ages were dispersed, and then they had their uh, assistant coach was with them as well. And over that time, um, a whole bunch of people were involved, like I said, and there was a whole heap of divers, there was like 100 divers and Navy SEALs were those, most of those guys. But the guys that actually saved these guys, can you switch, go here to the picture of, yes, these guys. So the guys that actually got in and got the boys out, these, there were four British guys, two Australian guys, and basically, in one of the, I watched a documentary on this, that's why I know um, what they said. The, one of the guys said, they're basically just nerds. Like these guys weren't athletes or anything. He said, we weren't jocks at school. No one picked me for a team. But we were kind of just nerds. And we had this obscure hobby that we loved. And we were good at. And we were experts. And they were, they did cave diving in water, going through narrow spaces and all sorts of stuff that most people would find freaky. And these guys did all the heavy lifting and the rescue. And so when these guys got on the scene and were able to, there was lots of robots in them helping, but do you want to go to the map, Johnny? So they started searching for these guys when they were able to, because the Navy SEALs, they just didn't have the skills. This was not like sea diving or anything. And the, the kids were about five kilometers in to these caves. So that's about from here to the hospital, quite a long way. Hey, and, um, they were um, found yeah, nine days in, and some of these passages that they went through, uh, the smallest one was 75 centimetres by 38 centimetres. 
that they were going through. You know, I said to Nick, you would not be on the team, you'd be coming. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been like a play. Okay? <laughs> I need some prayer for encouragement. <laughs> to try and find where exactly they were in. And so um, when they did get them, they had to figure out how to sorry two, sorry two. Uh, they had to figure out how to get them out. And the journey in was six hours against the current and five hours with the current back. So pretty hardcore, were they gonna teach the boys how to drive? That would have been possible. They actually gave them general anaesthetic and knocked them out. And you had to give them a new dose every 45 minutes as well. So it was it was hardcore. And the um so once they got these guys, they had to get them through all those spaces. And this was flood water, so flood water generally comes with no visibility and really does it. So they had set up like a rope system, but the current was strong as well. So they had to hold a kid and the rope to get back out. But I suppose the reason I wanted to share this story is imagine that you've been in a cave for nine days. No, it's dark. And these boys, they had to do something, didn't they? And they tried to start digging out. They had limestone and they were trying to get through the soft limestone. And they dug a tunnel that was five metres, but they were a kilometre under. So it was a good effort though, five metres, but a kilometre, you know. But imagine seeing the light coming out out of the water after you've been nine days in the mm-hmm. darkness. And I suppose I just want to finish on. You can go to the last slide if you want. That there's no cave. There's no darkness. That Jesus, the light, can't rescue you from. And Jesus is an expert diver. He's way better than these guys who did incredible things. He's an expert diver. So, maybe just to finish, would you all just stand with me?